I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This episode of the Media Podcast is proud to be supported by Riverside, the best podcast and video recording platform out there. And we say that with confidence, as we've been using Riverside to record the Media Podcast for well over a year now. It's easy to send out links to guests, check their setup right, and get recording quickly. In fact, on the enterprise plan, you can actually change the settings for them. You don't even have to talk them through it themselves. It is beautiful. The audio quality is better than you get with Zoom, and it's all uploaded in real time. HD quality audio and video. What's not to like? And if there's a dodgy internet connection, there's a great backup feature that you can rely on to get the best show possible. Riverside is used by brands from Microsoft to the TED Talks, Marvel to the New York Times, but most importantly, by this show. So give it a go. Head to riverside.fm and use the code MEDIAPOD for $15 off any Riverside subscription. There's a link in the show notes. That's riverside.fm and the code MEDIAPOD for $15 off. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Matt Deegan. On the show today, Disney Plus is launching an ad-supported tier in the US. Piers Morgan's back and Uncensored will discuss what his new show will bring to audiences across three continents this spring. Uh, and also on the programme, I chat to CNN correspondent Michael Holmes to tell us about working in Lviv in Ukraine. Uh, plus, in the Media Quiz, we're covering melodious milestones in the music industry. That's all coming up in this edition of the Media Podcast. This week, Stuart Ramsey's Sky News team were injured after a Russian ambush in Ukraine and Russia's fake news laws result in the BBC temporarily suspending reporting. Uh, Now, while they've decided to resume, it's not the case for CNN, Bloomberg and The New York Times, who've all indefinitely suspended journalistic activity in Russia. Uh, ITV's Paul Brand has revealed he'll be fronting The Tonight Programme. That's the UK's most watched current affairs show and probably taking himself out of the running for the BBC political editor job at the same time. Meanwhile, Channel 4, ITV, BBC, STV, UKTV, S4C and Paramount UK have all united to create disability access passports. The initiative aims to foster a more supportive and inclusive workplace. And the rise in the cost of living is really starting to hurt, with Netflix jacking up its prices to 6 99 and 15 99 depending on your package. Those new Bridgerton episodes don't pay for themselves. Uh, and someone that would be first picked when stepping out is the Times media correspondent, Jake Cantor. Uh, Jake, you've been uh, reporting on a, a big BBC story about 
a kind of exodus of diversity executives. Um, what's been going on? Well, they've lost their head of creative diversity, a woman called Miranda Wayland. And at the same time, there have been a few other departures of executives from diverse backgrounds. And I think th- th- there's a bit of a coincidence in the timing. Uh, so I don't think there's a sort of collusion between them to all leave at the same time. But it's not a great look for the BBC. The BBC has uh, tried to work hard to bring in diversity executives and improve the diversity of its management team. And this suggests that diversity executives feel like they can get better jobs elsewhere. So Miranda Whalen, the example I've just given, she's been poached by Amazon. Uh, I think that will be announced at some point this morning. The market for diversity executives in television is running red hot at the moment. You can go and earn lots of money because they bring a a level of expertise to programming and uh, they can make sure that your shows and films, in the case of Amazon, are better reflecting the country and are more representative of uh, of their subscriber base. And also it shows that there's this kind of a need to to get more um you know people of color or people from diverse backgrounds uh, up out of the the lower ends of the TV industry and, and into into management positions. A part of the reason they can be kind of poached is that, that, that they haven't got enough people uh, up through the the rungs of the ladder. This is one of the big issues in in television at the moment is that There are a lot of entry-level schemes uh, for people from different backgrounds, um, and the TV industry doesn't have an issue with that. What it does have an issue with is, as you say, career progression uh, and making sure the opportunities are there for people to move up the ladder properly and get paid properly for those jobs. And this is not uh, a, a, an issue that's isolated to the BBC. We're seeing it at other broadcasters as well. Uh, we're also welcome back to the show, TV and audio critic Scott Bryan. Um, Scott, I was looking at your uh, weekly newsletter, Worth Watching, um, and you covered lots of shows that are explaining the situation in Ukraine. Um, what would be your, your top rep- recommendations for, for our listeners that they should start watching? There was a really good documentary on last Sunday night um, uh, presented by Matt Fry, done by Channel 4 News, that looked at the transition from um, comedian to the president of Ukraine, just essentially Vladimir Zelensky's um, life story. And, um, of course, I think many people know that he did a comedy called Servant of the People um, directly before um, um, uh actually running for president a sort of life imitating art but of course he's also been the voice of Paddington one and two and he's also been um uh, uh the winner of dancing on the stars of the ukraine version of strictly come dancing but what i find fascinating is not just the transition that he's had from being a comedian to to being a president it, it, it's a sort of the skills he's managed to have in that transition so one thing that the many people have been praising in regards to the information war against president putin is is um zelensky's really clear concise um uh, use of quotes his his real clear way he doesn't seem like a, a normal politician you know many people have said that there's many similarities between him and Churchill but in fact he manages to to really relate and bring people on and I think that comes back to his comedy career he already had millions of followers but also knew particularly when he was running for president how to use Instagram how to use Twitter how to use one minute videos 
and he used a kind of um, a, a very different method when running for president of spe- basically speaking directly to the viewer using social media. And, and I think many comedians are able to build that 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 skill, and it's and it's interesting to see that transition from a um, uh, from him being a comedian to him being uh, the president. But also, Channel Four very quickly have have also bought Servants of the People, the comedy uh, that you can now watch on all four. And I think one thing that really strikes through to me from watching that is just that you can tell that it's a, such a love letter to Ukraine. I mean, his his love for the country is so evident. And um, watching it, of course, is now just tinged with sadness because you know what is now happening in the country. And of course, that was never really ever the plan when this sitcom was originally made. Um, but it's but it's 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 fascinating and it's really sad. I think you can definitely see his also his TV producer roots in a, a lot of that. There was a, a video the other day where it sort of starts on his phone and he come he sort of goes into his office just to kind of show that he's obviously in, in his office. Uh, it's not a set, and then the camera cuts to um, a sort of more traditional camera, and that's obviously all been edited together and, and packaged. It seems like a very minor thing when they're they're dealing with such horrific actions all across their country, um, but it, it does it does help them them cut through keep keep everyone motivated and and keep keeping up the fight yeah 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 and it's um i think that that's that's that documentary taps into that i think the comedy also really reflects that i, I think also there's there's a couple of other good documentaries on at the moment that help explain ukraine's wider context how did we get to this point there's a uh, netflix who have pulled out of um russia or aren't um getting any new sub- mm. subscribers on have uploaded a um, uh, film from about six years ago that was very popular on Netflix about U- Ukraine, and that was like talking about um, one of the old pre- um, one of the old presidents um, and the relationship that he had with Russia and how that led to an uprising in the country. And the, they, Netflix actually took that and uploaded that to YouTube for free. Um, so that's that's on there. You just need to put in Ukraine Netflix. And there's also a Storyville documentary. Um, that looks into tightening media um, restrictions within Russia, particularly TV Rain, which was this independent TV network, recently closed down after this documentary had ended. But it looks at that this this network that really had no first agenda to be about independent media. It was very much a kind of passion project, but then becomes this this big independent network. And it's an interesting way about where we're going to sort of be seeing with Russia now the the tightening of restrictions and its consequences for the, for the people of Russia. Well, talking about streaming services, um, Disney has said it's going to debut an ad-supported version of their subscription service Disney Plus towards the end of the year. Um, Jake, where's this decision come from? Where's this come from? Well, I mean, uh, so you're going to get cheaper access to Disney Plus, uh, but presumably you'll have to stomach some pre-roll, maybe mid-roll adverts. I think Disney clearly believes that there's headroom in its subscriber base and they've got plenty more to grow Uh, they've got uh, a sort of target of hitting up to 260 million subscribers uh, and they're about 200 million at the moment and to put that into context netflix is 222 million so disney plus could overtake netflix I, i think that's the ambition anyway i just think this is this is fascinating and really smart idea that you can have this kind of hybrid uh, video on demand service. And it gives 
uh, consumers more choice, and that can only be a good thing, I think. And looking looking at it, particularly in America, there's uh, some of the, the services that have a little bit more kind of ad funding in them. Hulu has kind of a combo of, of ads and, uh, and subscriptions. And someone was telling me that yep. a lot of it's down to the sort of average revenue per user. And actually, the ad-funded streamers do pretty well on that. And if you're a subscription service that isn't like a 1099, 1599 one, um, that having the ad money is, is actually quite important to, to up your total revenue it's a way to keep the subscription costs down for example if you go on to now tv um which of course is a different company here but but they have now subtly put in adverts in and i was speaking to somebody about um why that that, that might be the case and they were saying well otherwise we'd have to just bump up the price and that would mean that that essentially it would make it um, less lucrative and for the con- consumer more frustrating because they're going to have to pay even more to watch the shows that they, they want. So I think that there's always going to be this battle between having some adverts to help keep the costs down but not doing it too much that you frustrate people who are already paying. And I think also it's a strategy to just know your audience better because then you can target them ads, you can do it by demographic. This is going to be a new model in which um, you'll be able to to target them in the same way that TV advertising targets them and able to have different channels that allow them to have um, certain advertisers in there. So it's trying to make a new model, I think, for a new generation in the same way that it did when it was on cable for Disney. Um, so So there's that. I think an interesting thing is that though you are seeing this wider sense of prices increasing so for example there's been this long going rant of oh netflix is much cheaper than the bbc you know maybe the bbc should be having a um different funding model but as you can see it's really getting to the case there's not that much difference between the two so i did some um, calculations and apologies I'm, I'm, I've got to see at GCSE maths so if this all falls apart down to my mathematics do blame me but like for example if you go for a standard tier for um, Netflix um, it's now going up to 10.99 a month it used to be 9.99 a month so that will cost 131 pounds 88 pence per year um, if you use the premium tier um, that even goes up even higher it goes up to um about 100 and 180 pounds or so and of course for tv license is only 159 so if you go for a premium you're already now going to be paying more than the tv license throughout the whole year and of course that comes with loads of extra benefits so you can go down a tier but even on a standard tier there's only a difference of 30 quid now and and of course in the long term with the amount of money that netflix is burning and also the difficulty that netflix is having in growing like that is a big concern, thinking at one point one's going to overtake the other and people are going to have to make a choice. No, I think people will inevitably have to make choices about which which subscription service they eventually uh, use more than others. Household finances aren't limited. We're seeing a, a big squeeze on, on uh, household income at the moment and, uh, and, and uh, bills going up. You know that will, I think, inevitably have a consequence for the for the industry um, because people are going to have to make choices about what they're watching. And and let's face it, having a Netflix, Disney, Apple, uh, Amazon subscription, one of those or two of those will be seen as luxuries that can be discarded. And I think it's fascinating that we are seeing these price increases unilaterally introduced by these subscription services, and at the same time, the BBC's funding has just been frozen for two years that is the environment the bbc is competing in and it's it's a difficult one i don't see how uh, the bbc uh, can carry on with a license fee that is stagnant 
while all of its major rivals are investing huge sums of money into the industry and are able to raise their prices Mm -hmm. without even warning their subscribers. I mean, Netflix just announced this yesterday. Um, and we as subscribers, if if you have a subscribe uh, have a subscription, we'll just have to to suck it up. But I also think that there's a bit of a balance in that these streaming services could be seen to be quite vulnerable if people go, oh, do I really have to subscribe to you? I could easily cut Netflix and go to Disney Plus. I've had a lot of people who have told me, and something I, I do share, that um, Netflix's recent content offering, apart from a couple of shows or some upcoming, it's been quite underwhelming for quite a while. So I could think that there could be a scenario where, as there has been in the past, Netflix makes deals to help essentially prop up BBC drama and spending money because they think, well, we get the visibility, plus we get the prestige. And then also um, the BBC goes, right, we can get our shows funded, but then Netflix can then have international distribution. And that causes a lot of different issues in itself. But I can certainly see a more of an environment that, that actually streaming services can be vulnerable as as the BBC does, just because they might be having issues down the road at just retaining subscribers. I think we're probably going to see people grazing. Yeah, yeah I am. <laughs> people people will sort of opt in and out. I mean, it, it, it means you have to be on top of your monthly bills, doesn't it? And you have to be cancelling subscriptions and then restarting them. And that, that can be annoying. But I think people will kind of say, well, I've... I've kind of completed Netflix for this month. <laughs> There's this great new drama on Apple or whatever it may be. I'm going to switch over for, for a month or two. Well, Netflix is having its own trouble, uh, as you say there, Jake, but um, uh, also it's having trouble in other countries. Uh, one of many uh, big tech Uh, companies having trouble in Russia, um, where either Russia has blocked access to services or the services themselves um, have stopped broadcasting or or, or giving their services to to Russian people. Um, Jake, it's kind of a story of um, resilience, um, waiting to see whether kind of tech companies give in or or the Kremlin gives in. Um, Where does the balance of, of power lie in Russia at the moment? Difficult to say without being on the ground in Russia. Um... I mean, look, as you say, Twitter and Facebook have been blocked. TikTok has effectively been blocked in, in Russia. I mean, I, I, look, I think we, what we've seen is a huge cultural and tech reckoning against the actions that Russia have taken in Ukraine. And the tech companies are part of that. It's unfortunate that Russian people are losing access to these services, which may, may give them information uh, that they can't get in their own country. Uh, it may, you know, it's a it's a, a way to circumvent the Kremlin propaganda machine, but Russians are finding other ways to seek out the information that they want. Uh, so we've seen in the last couple of weeks that VPNs have risen to the top of uh, the App Store charts in Russia. We know that Telegram is extremely popular in Russia, and that is where uh, local people are getting information about what's going on in Ukraine that is not from the Kremlin. And it, it, it's a shame that the likes of the BBC and other media services are not able to directly access Russian people, but they're, they're also coming up with ways to get their information out there. Uh, so TikTok, for example, is one way that the BBC is hoping that Russian people can get hold of its content. Uh, they've launched on TikTok for... The first time they had quite a bit of resistance to doing that um, but have decided to embrace TikTok in the last few days 
And even though TikTok's effectively blocked in Russia, I think the, the hope is that the BBC is because TikTok videos are so shareable, you can download them and, and share them on other platforms really easily, is that the BBC's content will find its way to Russian people uh, almost sort of through other means. Uh, and, you know, I think it's the right thing for the BBC to be embracing TikTok, not just because of the conflict in Ukraine, but because it's where young people are and ultimately, they are future generations of license fee payers. Scott, as Jake was saying, did TikTok are banning Russian users from posting? Um, we are kind of ending up with a sort of second great firewall, haven't we, uh, in mm. Russia, with the internet being split into two halves. Lots of discussion about um, this week, uh, Russia maybe taking uh, themselves off of the, the, the public internet. I mean, it's a problem for, for discourse, isn't it? It is a problem for, the, for discourse, because, of course, we're having the battle between um, kind of uh, reliable, impartial, the realities of what's happening in Ukraine, not getting through to Russians, but also at the same time, I think Russian propaganda trying to be blocked in terms of getting it to our world as well. And I think that, that what you're seeing is um, when when we tighten um, services in the UK, they would then equally tighten um, services in, in Russia. And there are consequences to, to ordinary Russians, if they're not getting the information from the BBC or from trusted um, Western news organisations telling them what's happening, then it's more of a reliability of them therefore going to be relying on the Russian um, information from their own services, which has been seen to just be propaganda. So, so the consequences of this are going to be far reaching and I think are, are going to be far longer lasting than, than, than this war in, in Ukraine. And I think I, I agree with, with what Jake was saying about TikTok. If anything, like the BBC would be dragging their feet in terms of making TikTok content. But if you look at some of the journalists on there, they know that young people are relying on, on, on information on that. Yes, there's a lot of fake news on there. But if you look at, for example, Victoria Derbyshire, she's got 383,000 followers. And all she does is recap what's been happening overnight the previous day um, within Ukraine. There's also um, uh, Sophia Smith-Gawler, who now works at Vice, but, but she's done some phenomenal work on um, using TikTok and highlighting its power for journalism and advocating it for all journalists for ages. And she's got more than 350,000. And the BBC News so far, don't get me wrong, only been going for a week, but they've only got 4,000 followers. So you hope that they will be able to accelerate as they do. They've got like 80 million followers on Instagram and of course their, their reach is, is absolutely huge. But I think for a while there was probably a snobbery within the BBC thinking that they were above TikTok and now actually they're going, oh God, that's where our audience is. Yes, I, I spoke to Nia Nilsson, who's their head of digital, BBC News is head of digital uh, yesterday and she said the reason that they ultimately adopted tiktok is because there was a sort of uh, a revolution among some of their young employees they were saying you need to be on tiktok this is where uh information is playing out about the war it is where young people are discovering content about the cr the crisis in ukraine we need to be part of that conversation if not to just be involved but also to tackle some of the misinformation and disinformation that exists on TikTok. 
listening to uh, a lot of the reports over the last few weeks, there's also this split between older and younger audiences um, in Russia, where you know, even as all the networks are being shut down, um, as you were saying, Jake, Telegram is still hugely popular and used by Russia. So it sort of survived any any chop and, and was designed by Russians originally. Uh, people repurposing information, um, people sharing information from, from Ukraine's essential. Though if you're 50, 60, you watch you know, government TV all day, um, you, you, you believe, you believe what's being said. Yeah. I mean, Russia attempted to ban Telegram (laughs) years ago and, uh, singularly failed because, uh, I think they've got a very smart way in which they operate their servers and, and the way it's hosted. And therefore, even though it was banned, government agencies were using it to disseminate information to people. So it, 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 this kind of bizarre situation where Telegram is really established in Russia. But you're right. I think there is a, clearly speaking to people out there. I've, I've been speaking recently to a former uh, Russia Today RT employee who's been based in Moscow. And there is this generational divide. You're right. People, Older people uh, are getting their information from the Kremlin. They They are more likely to accept the Kremlin's line, whereas young people are a bit more enlightened. And uh, I mean, look, these are very broad generalizations um, and are able to access information via Telegram and other uh, and other social media sources. On the topic of the ongoing war in Ukraine, this week I spoke to news anchor and international correspondent for CNN, Michael Holmes, a season war correspondent, including stints in Northern Ireland, the first Gulf War and Rwanda. Michael shared his perspective on reporting from Lviv, where he is at the moment, his conversations with the ambushed Sky News team and the determination that drives journalists to get stories told. I started by asking him what runs through his team's minds when the bombs start to fall. I think my first conflict was the Romanian Revolution in 1988. The conflict I covered the most was Iraq. I went up with the Marines at the beginning in April 03, and and I was last there in 2016 covering the retaking of Mosul from ISIS. So I, I went to Iraq covering the war 17 times. I think I spent two and a half years of my life there. When you're covering it, I mean, you know, safety is your main thing. You don't want to get killed for a story. And, you know... I've lost a lot of friends in conflicts. I lost five friends in Iraq. I lost two in Afghanistan. I've lost two in uh, Gaza. And uh, a couple of colleagues that I knew fairly well in Libya covering the revolution there. So, you know, you've got to know when to pull back. You've got to know when to pull out. The problem with wars is that you can do everything and still get killed. I mean, I mean, two people I know that I could name, you know, famous photographer Tim Hetherington was one of them in Miserata in Libya, knew everything. I mean, this guy covered conflicts his whole life. He would have known exactly what to be doing and when and how. And a mortar lands in the square where he's standing. And he bleeds out because somebody didn't know how to put a tourniquet on, basically, hit enough femoral artery. But, you know, there's, there's a couple of examples of that that I can give. You just can't account for. That's just, that's just really shitty luck. You try to mitigate as much as you can the risks. But, you know, it's a war. And then Iraq was different too because Iraq was certainly the first conflict I covered and I think one of the first conflicts ever where the the media was not potential collateral damage. The media was a target and a high-value target to ISIS who would have loved nothing better than to put us in orange jumpsuits and, and cut our heads off on YouTube. And we were keenly aware of that. 
And, you know, in 2004, I was in an ambush where we were the targets, just simply because we were Westerners, not even because we were media. We didn't advertise the fact we were media, but we're in two, you know, white vehicles driving down a highway from Hilla in the south of the country back to Baghdad. And we were attacked by two cars and two guys stood up out of the sunroofs and lit us up. And my translator, Duradius Muhammad, and uh, one of our drivers, Yasser, were, were both killed in that attack. My cameraman sitting next to me was shot in the head, lived to tell the tale, and he's here right now, actually, in this very hotel. Um, and, uh, you know, if our security guard at the time hadn't been a good shot, we would have all been killed for certain. He killed the guy that was shooting at us. And so, you know, those things happen. That just came out of nowhere. But you mitigate as much as you can. We, we go through safety training. We go through medical battlefield training. I'm looking at my flak jacket sitting in the corner of this room right now, which is high quality. I remember going up to Baghdad with the Marines and we're with this unit. And the guys said that the plates in our body armor and our helmets were better quality than theirs. So CNN takes that very seriously. And uh, we have security with us. I, I don't, I probably even shouldn't say how many, but we, we have a number of security guys here and uh you know they're not renter cops they're a bunch of ex-special forces guys you know there's sas guys here and all that sort of stuff so that's a side of it that's taken very seriously i mean obviously last week we heard here about sky news's stuart ramsey and his team who when you talked there about you know being lucky or unlucky i mean sounded like they were hugely lucky with their situation that they managed to get out of yeah i don't know how they got out of it when you look at that video and you and I both know Dominique, who was the producer in that crew. And she messaged me not long afterwards. And, and uh, it was actually a very emotional thing because I care very much about her. She and I were here in 2014 covering the Maidan uprising in, in Kiev. And then we went to Crimea and covered the referendum there that made uh, Russia annex Crimea. We were in Mosul together. We were... Um, Oh, my God, we, we were in a bunch of places together. So I'm very close to her. And um, when that happened, um, two things. What I'd gone through in 2004 meant that I had a visceral understanding of what she'd gone through. And because I care for her very much, I was enormously upset about that. And she came through here on their way out. And having talked to her then and messaged her a few times since, she was. She's more together about it than I was at the time. I'm not a psychiatrist, but I think she will go through stages of things because I certainly did. And um, I'm just glad no one died there. And when I looked at that video, it brought back a lot of memories to me for the for the volume of fire and bullets coming through the car and all that sort of thing, which you know is is seared into my brain and will be now in hers. I, I frankly can't believe that there was one minor gunshot wound out of that. I mean, they should have all been dead. I mean, it was, that was a horrible experience. And yeah, that, that's an example of, you know, things can happen. You, you think you're doing the right thing. They went down a road that they'd been told was okay. And it wasn't. And they still sat down and made the package at the end of all of that too. <laughs> uh, yeah, like I said, they, they got out of Kiev after that and they were getting out to Poland because the correspondent needed a little bit more treatment and you know, it was time to go after something like that happened. And they came through and they stayed here in our hotel. I was on the periphery of those conversations where 
Sky was like, now is not the time. And they were like, yes, it is. This story needs to be told. I mean, they're just such journalists. I think for, for good reasons, Sky management was pushing back a bit, saying, let's just wait a couple of days, guys. And nobody's going to scoop you on this. But they were passionate about getting it out. And, and, and that's another thing that resonates. I get that. They weren't doing that for, you know, tabloid reasons. They were doing that because that was a story that needed to be told. And I remember from my own experience, we had been down in the south of Iraq, a place called Hilla. Silly little story. Not a silly little story, but it was a minor story. It was a story on democracy training for Iraqis and Americans giving lessons in how to hold elections and blah, 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 blah. Not earth-shattering. You know, we shot this story and Duraid was doing the translating the whole time. And then we're driving back to Baghdad and he gets killed. There was a lot of fallout from that emotionally for all of us. A, they were after us. They were after the white guys. And two Iraqis get killed. So, you know, we had a lot of survivor guilt about that. And those of us who survived, our crew, we all said at the time, we wished one of us had been killed. B, when we got back to Baghdad, I had this sort of, and I think it was a reaction to what had happened. I, I was absolutely going to put that damn story together. And like I said, it, it, it was, this was no award-winning piece of journalism, but I was putting that story together, and I put it together that night, and I told Atlanta, you better run the shit out of this, and, and they did, because that had uh, Duraid's voice on it. Yeah, so I get why they wanted to get that to air. It was for the right reasons, you know, and I support them, yeah. That was Michael Holmes talking to us from Lviv in Ukraine. Uh, today, which is Friday, uh, he'll be recording his 120th show in less than four weeks from the city. If you want to hear the full interview, including a fascinating day in the life of a CNN anchor in a war zone, just head to patreon.com slash mediapod. You'll find not only this week's conversation, but the full archive of media podcast deep dives. That's patreon.com slash mediapod. It's all waiting for you right now. Uh, and with that, we'll be back with more media news and, of course, our weekly quiz after this. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. 
Welcome back, Jake and Scott are still with me and it's time for some media news in brief. Piers Morgan, uh, everyone's favourite, is uh, returning to the screens with a new show, Piers Morgan Uncensored, as part of his 50 million deal with News UK. Uh, we saw a bit of a, a mini trail this week. Um, in it, Morgan says uh, his show is intended to annoy all the right people. Um, is this just bitterness? Who'd have thought him being a bitter man? Um, Jake, the new show is going to broadcast in the UK, US and Australia. Do you think it's kind of overly ambitious to try and launch him as a, a kind of global TV success? Are they going to are they going to manage it? Do you think? I have to be a little careful about what I say about Piers Morgan. I'm afraid, given that my employer <laughs> is also his employer. Um, look, what I can say is there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes on this show, and uh, Talk TV have made some really smart hires. People like Aaron Gordon who have come over from Good Morning Britain to join Piers Morgan. And uh, they know how to produce very high quality television. And I have no doubt that it will launch really professionally and uh, they will they will give it a really good go internationally. They clearly believe that there is an audience in Australia and America for Piers and uh, what he does and his brand of uh, uh, kind of topical current affairs. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll sort of see how it goes. I, I think, you know, there, there is clearly a lot of ambition behind what is being done. Scott, what we see in a lot of these things is this idea of cancelling the cancel culture. I do worry that there's so much cancelling of the cancel culture, there's no cancel culture actually left to be cancelled. Um, is, is there enough room in the cancel culturing market for another um, person? So this is the fourth cancel culture related show. Like either um, having a recurring feature about cancel culture, giving interviews to people who have been supposedly cancelled, or doing documentary style shows that look into cancel culture and people who have been cancelled. So there's a lot of cancel culture related shows for people who have been cancelled. Surprisingly, giving them a platform despite their cancellation. That's funny. So it's so it's the case of like you're getting. I think two documentaries on Channel 4, GB News revels in the stuff, and now you've got this too. So, I mean, obviously, the whole the whole point of Pierce's show is is to to cause that kind of the big big debate. I I just wonder what else is going to be on Talk TV. I find it fascinating if you compare the launch for this or the the, the run up to launch for this compared to um, the launch for GB News. GB News spent so much money, but also, you know emphasize the whole schedule emphasize that there's there's this all of these different shows of course whether they've worked or not is heavily um debated according to whether you're a fan of gb news or not but with talk tv it seems to be entirely around piers morgan so far there hasn't been apart from a couple of other signings that they've brought over nothing's been announced yet of course that might change they might have a big plan implemented but it seems to be that the entire of talk tv's brand is just going to be piers morgan well i guess he's the one they've spent all the money on um uh, (laughs) i know i know know that uh yes we're starting to see some kind of color bars popping up on some of the satellite tv platforms so they haven't announced a launch date yet but it seems pretty close i think to probably uh popping up uh we won't shake down jake for the for what he's heard about uh launch dates but um, go on jake uh, tell him (laughs) I know, I know, I probably know. <laughs> I, was, I was reading Jake's face just throughout when I was making that rant, <laughs> by the way. I, 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 I'm not entirely sure how much is in the public domain of what I know. So, 
<laughs> I have to be really careful when talking about talk TV. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I think we should uh, probably hear more about it in, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, all of which brings us to the alluring world of the media quiz. This week it's entitled Musical Milestones. Oh, God. So in honour of... Uh, in honour of British band Glass Animals making history with their single Heat Waves, topping the Billboard's Top 100 this week, we've a music-themed media quiz. Uh, I'll describe a headline from the audio industry. You just tell me who is the subject of the story. Okay. Uh, three rounds in. Uh, buzz in with your name if you know the answer. So, Jake, you will say... Jake. And Scott, you will say... Scott. Let's play Musical Milestones. Right, number one. Uh, which English singer is going to be hosting a brand new show on Radio 1? Oh, oh. Jake. Oh, Jake. Is it Molly King? It is Molly King, uh, previously of the Saturdays. She's going to be hosting a two-hour show dedicated to new and emerging UK and international pop artists. Um, Scott, Radio 1 made um, a few changes this week. Um, anything that sort of struck you from their new lineup? I mean, I think that they're spending a lot more emphasis. They've they've changed a lot of the daytime shows. I think they're now changing more of the specialist shows. I think it's trying to ensure, because young listeners are so interested in so many different types of music, it's trying to make sure that each sort of genre of music has got a dedicated show for it. I think specialism on the on, on Radio One is much wider than it used to be. Um, but but this is but this is the, the the case. It sort of feels like Radio One's had a lot of change recently, and it takes a while for listeners to settle. And I think you've been covering that, haven't you, about about their radars and and how well that they're performing. But I'm thinking that we're going to have to wait a little bit longer to see whether it's going to be a success. Uh, and a lot of these announcements uh, are actually announced for September. And the reason they've been announced early is because some of those shows are put out to tender. So you need to kind of know the information before you bid for those shows. And that's why I, that's why I love your knowledge, Matt. You know absolutely everything. <laughs> you know everything about this. It's very niche, but um, I'm glad you enjoy it. Uh, question number two, which major streaming app has moved into music distribution this week? I've got no idea, actually. <laughs> Does this help? I, I, I only Jake. I know because I read this before. <laughs> TikTok. Don't, don't, don't ruin the magic of the media, the media quiz. Let me just open my emails. Hang on. <laughs> TikTok. Uh, yes. What do you know? What it's doing? It's launching its own music marketing distribution platform, Sound On, uh, and I think the aim is to help artists get their music heard. That's. that's Were you what, reading that, Jake? <laughs> I think, yeah, what's interesting about this one is um, it allows artists themselves to upload, I think, directly into TikTok, whereas normally things come through aggregators. Uh, so to get onto Spotify or Amazon Music, but they're allowing people to uh, upload directly. And as a platform which is quite speedy in uh, making something a hit, um, maybe that even you know, reduces the sort of time to virality down to a, a really short amount of time. Um, so we'll see how that how that works for them. Uh, and finally, uh, question number three, um, uh, Scott, you've got to try and uh, w win, win this back, uh, at least not look too disappointing uh, with Jake's getting all the points. Uh, question number three, which beloved comedian is going to make a fabulous debut exploring the world of opera? Um, Scotty, hello. Um, Jennifer yes. Saunders. 
on Classic FM. Yes. I mean, who isn't? Who isn't yes. joining Global? Come on. Like, this is this is just the case. Yeah. I keep expecting that there's vans outside every different company <laughs> just shepherding talent from, from over the road down to Leicester Square. So, of course, I think she's going to be doing a show on that. And it is an interesting time in, in trying to work out Global's plan because, of course, it's not just getting the talent in. It's also getting the audience to then follow them. And I think it's... Um, uh, you know, uh, there was this week we saw Andrew Marr starting his show on LBC and having some big, big guests on that. So it'll be interesting to see uh, whether the listeners follow because it's not it's not just for talent people listen to. It's a familiarity and it's, and it's trying to build a new new relationship with a, um, a, a network they might not expect. Uh, yeah, I mean, Classic Home has always done this. And um, Jennifer Saunders is going to be presenting a Sunday night series from the couch to the opera house uh, on Classic FM, looking at the wonderful world of opera. I'm sure we'll all be tuning in. Uh, well done, Jake. Uh, you get um, a box set of Bark uh, for winning the quiz. Um, uh, well done. That's our show Gutted. for today. My thanks to Jake Cantor and Scott Bryan. Uh, Jake, where can people keep track of your work? On the Times. <laughs> <laughs> it's as simple as that now. And yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, which is at Jake, Can- Jake underscore Cantor. Excellent. And Scott, uh, how can people see what you've been doing? Uh, just at ScottyGB. Thank you both. And I hope you've been enjoying the show uh, this week. Uh, if you have, why not help us out with a couple of things? Uh, just give us a retweet. Uh, find one of our posts at twitter.com slash the media podcast and hit that button so more people find out about the show. Um, or if you need to remotely record audio and video, why not take out a riverside.fm trial and use the code MediaPod? And finally, why not help us grow by supporting us on Patreon? Just go to patreon.com slash MediaPod. And remember, if you've just stumbled across us this week, you can subscribe or follow the show in your podcast app of choice. Or you can follow us at podfollow.com slash the media podcast, and that will take you here as well. Uh, my name's Matt Deegan. The producer was Phoebe Adler-Ryan. With support- hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns from Matt Hill. It was a Rethink Audio production and I'll see you next week. Bye.